Okay, I'm glad you're here. So the question that I want to discuss is, uh, it's, it's really a giant question. It's um, how, how do we become free? And I just want to just uh, approach it from this angle. There's a, a very popular show on uh, television right now. It's a big hit on Netflix, um, uh, Marie Kondo. Uh, it's all about cleaning. And she's come up with a, a, a new kind of approach to cleaning that's just... Um, just uh, has electrified like a lot of people all over the world, by the way. And I'm going to just read you a quote from her, um, which is her, her philosophy in terms of decluttering your, your house, okay? And, and, and she's made this link that if you declutter your house, you're also going to be decluttering your life. And that if you take ownership over your possessions and your clutter... You're also taking ownership over your, over your own inner life as well. Okay, she's a Japanese woman. She's in her 30s. And um, I'm just going to read you just her words, just this uh, quote from her. She says, she says that nothing, there's nothing that sparks joy. That's her quote, sparks joy. More than seeing people take ownership of their belongings and their lives. Now, now here's her... Here's her advice. You ready? Keep only those things that speak to the heart and discard items that no longer spark joy. Thank them for their service, then let them go. Not something? You know, I, I'll tell you something. One of the, if, if, you've, if you've never read the book Holy Brother, you have to run out and get it like right now. Like, Forget about the rest of this talk. Just go on Amazon and get Holy Brother and you'll thank me later. <laughs> um, so so it's, it's about the life of Reb Shlomo Karlbach and it's first person accounts of their dealings with him. They're two to three page stories about just remarkable things. And one of them talks about how he, the process that he would go through in s- selecting an esrog for sukkahs. So, you know, that's the citron, the lemon looking fruit that, that we have as part of the holiday. And, and people, you know, they, they want to select the esrog out of hundreds or thousands, depending on where you are shopping for it, which really speaks to you. And of course, the esrog stands for the heart. So it's like a meaningful thing to like pick an esrog that's like your esrog. So anyway, what Reb Shlomo would do, which fascinated me, um, it's in the book, was that, you know, you have to go through a lot of esrogs. Like, they, as they say, you have to kiss a lot of frogs, right, before you find your prince. So, so, you, um, so, so, so you, would, you would have to discard a lot of esterics. You know, you, you pick them up and then you put them back down, basically, is what I mean. But anyway, when he would pick one up, he would examine it, decide, is this his esteric? And if it wasn't, he would whisper, I'm sorry to it, <laughs> and thank you, and then put it back down. Right? So, so this idea that before you discard something in your house, if you decide that it doesn't spark joy anymore, the idea of thanking it for its service is like, to me, that feels like such a very elevated, very elevated kind of path, you know? And also, you're also kind of acknowledging your debt and you're, 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 you're not just discarding it. It seems to me, this is my, my sense, you are freeing yourself from its hold on you because you are doing justice to your relationship with it by thanking it, right? You are acknowledging whatever emotional debt that you had to it, and now that allows you to to let it go. See, we have a lot of relationships where we owe people something. may not be money, but we owe them, how about a thank you? And if we don't acknowledge that thanks, then there's something that's tying us to them, which is almost like a negative energy, because we're feeling like we didn't do the proper service. So we're still tied to that thing in a, in a, in a, in a weird way. But the idea is, again, how do we be free? That's our question. How do we be free? And I'm very intrigued by this connection between the outer and the inner. So in other words, the clutter in your house and how that connects to the inside of you. Remember, the the model that we're sort of working from is the sages say, who is the idealized person? And they say it's someone whose actions 
reflect who they are on the inside. See, there's so many people, we have like a, you know, an, a, an overabundance of people who feel as though my maximum level of service is to have a good heart. If I have a good heart, but my actions are not in sync with my heart, that's enough. I was able to have proper intentions, and then I don't have to do, quote unquote, any action or the right thing. So Judaism comes and says, not so fast. (laughs) Like, really, you have to be in harmony with yourself. Your actions have to actually reflect how you feel on the inside. And then when you have that balance, you have become an idealized version of yourself. And by the way, the way they learn that out is by the ark that held the Ten Commandments. Because it was gold on the inside, and it was gold on the outside. So they say that the inside and the outside were like the same. And of course, God, it says, wrote the tablets on our heart. Right? So that's it's kind of like a model for us. And as I shared with you before, I had a, a wild kind of flash during davening a few weeks ago, which is that, you know, if you look at the shape of the Arnakodesh, of the ark and a human being, they're basically shaped the exact same way. Like you have two long poles, right? And then a rectangular box in the middle. That's, that's what the ark looks like. If you hold your hands above your head, you realize like from your arms down to your legs, that's one long pole. The other is another long pole, right? And your torso is essentially a rectangular box in the middle. Not only that, but there were four rings on the corner of the boxes. And you have these four rotary cuffs, which is what your arms and your legs go through. So you, you, you see, you are an ark. So it makes sense that the idealized person correlates with the, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the Aaron Kodesh. Okay. But here you see that there's a very, very strong correlation. If you want to be the best version of yourself, that, you're, that there's a connection between your insides and your outsides. Right? Not only that, but now we're connecting it to what your possessions are. Because your possessions and your acquisitions are an extension of your outer life, right? That's that's your property, and that's an extension of you, right? Like, I I would suggest that based on what your property is, I could probably tell you a lot about you, right? Like, if you, like, walked into someone's house and you saw, like, very fine things, like very, you know, you would, you would say, wow, this is a very sort of, someone who has very elevated sort of pursuits, right? Or like lots of books in their house, right? But if like you walked into someone's house and they had their gun collection, <laughs> that, would, that would also tell you something about the person, right? So in other words, the, the, the outer life, a person's possessions, can very much tell you about who the person is. So that just sounds logical to me. Okay. So, so why are we talking about all these things? So, uh, we're talking about them because we're coming up on the holiday of freedom and the holiday of redemption, which is Pesach. And one of the key aspects of becoming free is this idea of going through your house and getting rid of any bread products. That's, 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 and, and, and that these bread products is not just like, well, I can't have this in my house for whatever reason, but because these bread products are a direct connection to your inner life. So how so? Because, you see, human beings, human beings walk this very delicate balance. See, the classic teaching, the classic teaching is, from the Kutzke Rebbe, is every person has to have two notes, one in each pocket. In one pocket, it says, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. And in the other pocket, it says, the entire world was created because of me. Right? But, but that's just half the teaching. Everyone always leaves out the second half of the teaching, which is, you have to know when to pull out each note. <laughs> that's the real art form. You see, if someone insults you and you pull out the, 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 the paper, the entire world was created for me, 
then then you then that first step was not just enough having the two notes. You have to know when to be humble and when to stand up. Like if someone says to you, you know, there's this emergency. We there's this sadaka emergency. We need to raise this amount of money very fast in order to save this person's life. That's when you pull out the paper. The entire world was built just for me. Because you realize everything is dependent on you. Right? If someone insults you, that's when you pull out the page that says, I'm nothing but dust and ashes. So, so that's, that's, the great, that's the great balance. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because of the nature of chametz. It says that, that, that you know, we need bread to live. Bread is like this very, very essential component, right, to life, right? The staff of life, that's someone calls it, right? But then on the other hand, the composition of bread is all puffed up, it's full of air. And that's likened unto gaiva or arrogance or attributing power to yourself that you don't have. Because you see, you look very large from the outside, but when you actually examine it, it's nothingness. There's no real, there's no substance in there. It's not, it's like your bread didn't rise because it's stuffed with diamonds and cash. (laughs) It's just air. It's nothing. Right? But from the outside, it looks so important. Like, look how tall it is, right? So, so that's the, that's the balance. The balance is that you need substance, but you want to get rid of this inclination that we all have, which is to attribute power to ourselves that we simply don't have. Right? You know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years, just in terms of dealing with different, different people, is, is uh, there's some people who every good thing, this is, these are very spiritual people, maybe in a way too spiritual, um, Every good thing that happens in their life, they attribute it to God. But the bad stuff that happens in their life, they don't attribute to God because how could it be that God brought that into my life? Right? But God brings everything into everyone's life. Whatever it is. All, all aspects. Everything that happens is coming from God. Then you have another category of person, which is every good thing that happens in my life, that's my doing. Everything bad that happens in my life, that's God's doing. <laughs> you have those people also. But that's also silly. Because everything good that happens in your life, that's also coming from God. And if you don't know that that's coming from God, that's because you're so puffed up with air that you think that it's you. So that's what we're trying to get rid of. Okay? To walk that balance where, where it's, it's only Hashem. But, you, but then you have to also know how to balance that. You see, all these things are very, very subtle. All these things are very nuanced. Because then you can't think that you yourself have no value. <laughs> I know people like this too. This is again in the two spiritual category. Where they're so, they'll attribute all the good things that happen and all the bad things that happen. But then you know what they think of themselves? They think nothing of themselves. See, it's an art form to think nothing of yourself. <laughs> it's not so simple to think, to, to be nothing. To be nothing is a great accomplishment. This is called, in, in Hasidus, this is called bittel. To achieve true bittel, to achieve, achieve, achieve true nothingness, as the Torah understands it, is a very exalted level. You see, most people who want to become nothing, this is just an aspect of their own low self-esteem. That's not, that in Torah, that's not a high level. Having no self-esteem, that level of nothingness is, is no good. So the original Rebbe says like this, first, you have to understand your absolute greatness. Okay? And then, and you can even convince yourself, you can even trick yourself into thinking you're great. But you have to truly understand that you are great. And in fact, you are. Because God created you. By virtue of the fact that God created you and gave you a soul which is a piece of God, right? A piece of God you have inside of you. That alone, no matter what you've done or haven't done in your life, that alone makes you great, for sure. There's no question about it. Then he says, this is the Rishner, then he says, once you understand 
what real greatness is. You'll look around and you'll see people who are really great. And then you'll truly understand what greatness is. And the disparity, the difference between you and them will break your heart so much that you'll now have the motivation to really, truly strive for greatness and to become great on your own. Now you actually have defined the terms and now you know what the real goalpost is. Okay? Let me say a variation of that, which is that if you want to truly be nothing... First, you have to be something. Then once you're something, you can become nothing. But you can't become nothing until you become something. Right? And that doesn't mean that you have to become arrogant in order to become humble. You just have to understand that you have like an amazing value. Once you truly understand that, now you are on the road to actually becoming nothing in a holy way. You know, there's a story, one of my favorite stories... Um, Someone, you know, in, in, back in the day, uh, Kutsk was like a very sort of like radical spiritual community. And there would be people who were like, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, the people would sing songs, a fire is burning in Kutsk, meaning a spiritual fire. People were very intrigued, like, what is their spiritual path? Like, what's, what's going on there? So, so this non-Hasidic rabbi went to come to learn, to learn slash investigate. And he comes, and he was a very learned person, and he comes in, and he sees no one stands for him. Okay? And he notices while he's there, people only stand for two people, the Rebbe and someone who is so poor that he had a leaf for a yarmulke. Can you imagine? He couldn't afford a yarmulke. He had a leaf on his head, and he had two bags on his feet for shoes. And he was not learned at all. And the people in Kutsk were like very strong learners. They stood for him. So this rabbi who came in from the outside was like, okay, you know, I can understand they're standing for the Rebbe, but why are they standing for him? And they, they told him back, because he is nothing and he's not arrogant about it. <laughs> He really is nothing. You see, the thing, the thing is, is that imagine you go on this path that I'm talking about, where you realize your greatness, and then from your greatness, you become nothing. Because you realize it's only God. It's only God. It's only God. What am I? I'm nothing. It's only God. But you're doing that from a place of simcha, of happiness, right? Not from depression. From, from happiness, you say, I'm nothing. But now, you see... Spirituality is endless because now that I truly have become nothing, I now can become arrogant about the fact that I'm nothing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how devious the Yetzirah is? How endless the cycles are? It says it crouches at the door. It awaits any opportunity till our last breath. That's what it is. Anyone who thinks that they killed their Yetzirah is a fool. Okay. So, so getting rid of your chametz is really like this idea, this false, puffed up kind of thing. Getting rid of that opens you up to realize I'm a creation of God and God is God and and. You, you, you get rid of all that stuff. And you know what happens when you get all, rid of all that stuff? You sprout wings. You sprout wings and you can fly. Because you're not, you're not burdened by things. Okay. So I want to go into the Gemara now. I want to go deeper into what is this process? How can we do it? How can we not just get rid of the chametz in our houses these bread products, right? And this is cereal, crackers. It's not just loaves of bread, you understand. It's any bread products, cookies. All these, all these things are in this category. We have to get them out of the house, okay? So, so there's a, a search. The night before Pesach, there's a search by candlelight, all right? And it's, um, you say a blessing. Now, now, just so you know, just I'll tell you on a practical level, at this point, and this is for, for me anyway, one of the highlights of the year. 
you, you, you've already cleaned your house at this point. Like everything that needs to be out of the house is out of the house at this point, okay? Now, I'm going to use the word symbolic, but it's, it's not really symbolic. But, but, but because you're making a blessing to get rid of the chametz, you want to have a little chametz in the house, right? So how do, you, how do you do that? So someone puts in, you can put it in little Ziploc bags, or you can put it in little, uh, you know, like tinfoil, you know, you can wrap a little tinfoil around it. You get 10 pieces of bread, and the fact that it's 10 pieces of bread is very, very deep because there are 10 spherot, right? So we're talking about, right now we're ridding the entire universe of evil. That, that's what's going on, okay? And of course you have 10 spherot within yourself because you're a miniature of the entire universe. So you're getting rid of the evil on the outside and on the inside simultaneously. That's why I'm saying it's not, it's not really symbolic. But, but in terms of the house cleaning, the... the the, the, the house is already clean, except for these, you know, things. Now, again, they're in bags or whatever it is, so your crumbs shouldn't make crumbs. That's, that's important. And by the way, let me just say an aside, which is something that I realized. It's impossible, I would say, to go through the entire year without making crumbs. You know? Like, you might think to yourself, you know what, this year... I'm going to be really smart. Like, I've had this thought. This year, I'm not going to make any crumbs this entire year. I'll save myself the whole trouble of cleaning for Pesach. You can't not make crumbs. And you know what, you know what that says to me? Mm-hmm. We're human beings. We make mistakes. If crumbs mean something that we don't want to make, you just have to be a little bit patient and loving with yourself. You have to understand, you're going to say the wrong thing. You, as much as you don't want to say the wrong thing, you're going to say the wrong thing at some point. You just are. And, or you're, you're going to f- promise someone and forget. It, these things just happen. So you just, okay, then you just have to do your best to, to fix them when you realize, okay? Okay, so anyway, you've got your 10 crumbs, and someone hides them around the house, but you don't want to hide them too well, because the idea is not, I beat you, now you have hummets in your house on Facebook. That's not, that's not what we're doing over here. It's more just... You're walking through the house just looking and, and gathering these things in the different rooms. And you can think about different things. You turn out the lights, you're holding this candle. Now, the Gomorrah makes a very important point, which is that it says you have to use a candle and not a torch. Okay, so what's the difference? A, a candle is a small light. And practically speaking, you can use a flashlight, right? Maybe you start with a candle and you can switch to a flashlight. But a torch is a very big light, okay? That's something that has a, like a lot of wicks, like a Havdalah candle would be, you know, like halakhically speaking, a torch, okay? So, so I once learned in this, uh, just for the afternoon in this Breslover Yeshiva in East Jerusalem, and uh, someone told me this in the name of the Ari, which always stayed with me, which is that if, uh, if a person understood their true spiritual level, they would have a heart attack on the spot. Right, it's a kind of a bit of a shocking thought, but there you have it. So, so Reb Shlomo used to use this phrase every once in a while. He would say, you know, every once in a while you meet someone who wants to tell you everything wrong with you, right? They have a truth attack, right? So, so you know, it's like take your truth attack someplace else. I don't, I don't need it. It's a little too much light, you know. So that's the idea, like. Like if you're using a torch to look for your chametz, if you're look, if you're using too much light to to expose all of your mistakes, it might just depress you and make you want to quit entirely, right? So you use just a candle. You go slowly, just one, one thing at a time. That's that's what it is. We don't want to become overwhelmed, right? Because um, you see, I, I would make the distinction between two words: being ambitious. Right? That's a very positive word. That means you want to get a lot accomplished and getting overwhelmed. That means that you took on too much too fast and it's actually stopping you from doing anything. Right? So always keep that distinction in mind. Ambitious and becoming overwhelmed. If you start to become overwhelmed, because there are a lot of people who get overwhelmed all the time and they shut down and they get anxiety and it's like an issue. You have to begin to sense when that feeling is starting to come over you of becoming overwhelmed and then you have to stop and you just have to just take a step back. You know what I mean? That's something that you can manage but it's, it takes a little time just to know 
how your body is signaling that it's happening. It will signal to you. But you have to be in tune with the signs. And then you can be practical and control it. Okay. So now you're searching for the chametz. Now listen to this. The Gemara says something really beautiful, and it does like a lot of like gymnastic moves, like you know, like you know, like like in the Olympics, those floor mat exercises. Like how they derive this. So I'm just going to sum it up. I'm not going to go through all the steps over here. But it's Rav Chizda, and it's in Gemara Pesachim on page eight A. If you want to look it up, okay. So Rav Chizda, basically, the, the Gemara is asking the following question: How do we know that we look for the chametz by the light of a candle? Like, there's no verse in the Torah that tells us to look, at it, to look for it by the light of a candle. How do, how do we know that? And he links key words in different verses, and he derives that, the, that this is what the Torah means. So without going through all of the, um, the steps, I'm just going to sum it up. And interestingly, and this was very fascinating to me, this was like a whole gateway to a whole kind of like... Um, just a whole series of psychological insights for me, which was it links the word in the Torah, searching and finding. And then later on to a lamp or a candle. Okay? So searching and finding are two words that are linked in the Torah. Now, to me, that just like was like, wow. When I saw that, I was like, wow. Why? Because what the Torah is saying on a, excuse me, on a very deep level is there is no finding, true finding, without searching. See, I, I would use another word. There's acquiring, but we're not calling that finding. Finding is a very resonant, like that has satisfaction to it. Like, you've found something. That's, that's very meaningful. You can acquire a lot of things without finding anything. Do you understand? And this is, I think, one of the sort of plagues of, of, of the um, wealth of today's society. And one of the reasons why Marie Kondo's show is such a big hit is people's houses are filled with acquisitions, but with not with findings. Do, do you understand? Because the things that are in people's houses, for the most part, they weren't really searching for. <laughs> they just acquired them. Again, there's no true finding without searching. And in order to search, you have to know what it is that you want. And you're saying you have to be clear. What is it that I actually want? Until you know what it is that you want, you can't truly find. You can acquire things, but that's not finding. And why is it not finding? Because I didn't truly search. And why did I not truly search? Because I didn't know what it is that I really wanted. So I'll give you a, an example, okay? So oftentimes, we, we have in, in my sort of kitchen area, we have this like um, um, snack depository center, <laughs> right? Where it's just like, you know, they're like cookies or whatever, just candies, whatever it is. And they just kind of pile up in this area. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an area that I'll walk by, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen times a day. And it's sort of like the, the inclination is as you walk by, you just grab a cookie or you grab a candy or whatever it is because it's, it's right there. So I'll finish a meal and I, I have to get better at this, you know, but I'll finish a meal and I'll still be hungry. And I'll just walk by that thing and I'll just put something in my mouth and I'll just eat it. But you know what? At the end of eating that, I'm not full. And you know why I'm not full? Because it wasn't a finding. It was just an acquisition. I didn't know what I really wanted to eat. I didn't know what it was that was going to satisfy me, that was going to complete my meal. And so all these things were not findings. They were just stuffings in my face. That's an example. That's an example of what I'm talking about. 
So, you know, there's a very interesting halacha, which is, which is that, um, let's say someone, here, here's the question. You know, it might sound, it, it might sound very uh, detailed, the question, halakhically speaking, in terms of Jewish law. But, but you'll see, there, there's a very big idea behind it. Um, you know, maybe you don't know, but um, let's say Passover, for instance. Pesach, it's, um, it's seven days in Israel, but outside of Israel, it's celebrated for eight days. Okay? And the first day and the, in Israel is a holiday, and the last day is a holiday. But outside of Israel, the first two days are holidays and the last two days are holidays, meaning the seventh and we add an eighth day. Okay? So the question is like this. If I live in America and I visit Israel for Passover, okay, well, normally speaking, my whole life, the first days of, hol- of Passover have been holidays, meaning I don't work on them. Okay? So I observe them like you would observe Shabbos. Okay? But now I'm in Israel, and in Israel... Just the first day is a holiday. So do I keep the second day while I'm in Israel, even though I don't live in Israel? Or do I just observe it like everyone else in Israel who lives in Israel is observing it? Do you understand that? that, that, that that's actually a very big question because I might be, if, I, if I'm not keeping the second day in Israel, that might be the equivalent of breaking Shabbos, like, you know, philosophically speaking, Right? So maybe I really do need to keep two days in Israel, even though in Israel you just keep the first day. Everyone hear the question? So you know what the answer is? The answer is it depends. It depends. If I'm married and I have a home outside of Israel and I visit Israel for the holiday, you keep, the first, you keep it two days like you would if you didn't live in Israel. But if I'm single... That's one of the key determinations that even though I live outside of Israel, I only keep one day in Israel. And do you know why? Because I could decide to live in Israel pretty much at a moment's notice. You know why? Because I don't have a home outside of Israel and I'm not really tied to anything. So since I'm not really tied to anything, when I'm in Israel, I'm in Israel. So, so what you see here is what, what's intriguing to me about this is the idea of just a lot of times when you have all these things in our life, like I'll give you another example. A lot of people um, have jobs that they're miserable at, but, you, but they won't leave them. You know why? Because they're making too much money at them. Right? So it's a very bizarre kind of like construct that happens to a lot of people, and they call that golden handcuffs, right? So you're handcuffed to something that you don't like, but the handcuffs are made out of gold. <laughs> so so we, we develop these attachments to things that aren't necessarily conducive to our happiness, and it blocks our freedom but we've acquired them on such a deep level that we can't get rid of them and so we're trapped. And we can't make a move. We, 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 we lose our wings, we lose our agility to be able to sort of maneuver and navigate ourselves through all the different challenges and obstacles of life because we're too weighed down and too attached to these other things. So again, that's this idea of cleaning for Pesach. It's this, it's this act of freedom. Okay, so let's get more practical. So, so Rabbi Dean Steinsold said something which was so, so amazing to me. Think about it every year at this time. You see, let's, let's, just, talk about, let's just talk about how... Uh, let's talk about how, um, how dough becomes uh, chametz again, how it becomes leavened. So, you know, remember, there's nothing wrong inherently with dough because matzah is made out of dough. Dough is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. 
It's just when dough sits unworked. See, normally speaking, if you want to make challah, for instance, you have to knead dough, right? That means that you're like working with the dough. And while you're working with the dough, the dough can't rise. But if the dough is just flat and you walk out of the room and you're not working with it, then it rises. So he says that that's like the stuff in our hearts. Like if there are attributes in our hearts that we aren't working with on a regular basis, trying to improve ourselves, that's like kneading the dough, right? You can imagine getting your fingers into your heart, so to speak. Like really working with your heart, working with your character traits. If you don't do that, then what happens is those character traits go AWOL and they just rise on their own and they become chametz machines. See, now this is, this is serious business because Rav Chaim Vital, he was the top student of the Ari. And the Ari, you ready for this? Told Rav Chaim Vital that the only reason why I came into this world was because of you. So in the name of Rav Chaim Vital, he said the following, what's worse if you did something bad? Let's say you did something bad, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Or if you have a bad personality trait. Which is worse? So he says, the bad personality trait is worse. Why? Because if you do something bad, you can fix it. Whatever it is. Okay. No one's, no one's saying, oh, no, it was really good that you did it. No, no, no. Everyone agrees. You did something bad. But you can fix it. You can fix it. Okay? But a bad personality trait is like a fountain of bad deeds. Because that's the source of where all of the problems are coming from. So it's very, very important when we're talking about getting rid of the chumets inside of us. This is very, very important because these are the things that are producing all of the bad qualities that we're trying to get rid of. Now I want to show you, um, it's, it's said uh, by one of our greatest Torah commentators, and forgive me, I'm, I'm forgetting his name at the moment, but, but, but he shows you how human beings our bread. Human beings are challah. So I'm going to read you from this verse. It's actually in uh, chapter 2, verse 7 in, uh, in, in Breshis, in Genesis. Okay, right at the beginning. And this is a very key verse. This is talking about the creation of human beings. You ready? And you're going to see the link between humans and bread. So it says, And Hashem God formed the man. It's talking about man and woman. Um, and Hashem God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a living being. All right, would you agree that's a very epic verse? I mean, that's the creation of human beings right there. Now, look at the last three words, right? Because the Torah is infinitely compact, right? We always call it the, the infinite compressed into the finite. The last three words of that verse is ha'adam, Lenefesh Chaya, which would be translated to that the human being became, you know, a living being, okay? Now, if you take the first letter of those three words, starting with the last word, okay? So we're reading the Chet from Chaya, the Lamed from Lenefesh, and the He from Ha'adam, it spells the word Chala. <laughs> so you see... And it says that God took the ground and he watered it and he needed a human being like Challah. <laughs> I mean, what further, what further proof do you need to see how relevant a discussion not eating chametz on Pesach and getting rid of the chametz in your house are to your essential DNA of your own creation? Very, very, very important. In fact, the Ari goes further. He says, if you don't eat any chametz over the eight days of Pesach or the seven days of Pesach, you won't come to sin the entire year. Now, how can he say such a thing? I, I'll just give my explanation how he can say such a thing. Because one would only do something wrong if someone had a false sense of importance. If you were truly standing before the king and you knew who you were and you knew who God was the entire year, you wouldn't do anything wrong. The only thing that enables a person to do anything wrong is because they think that they're God. Even if they wouldn't dare put it into those words. 
but some thought buried deep, deep, deep within themselves, right? Remember, I always like to quote the, the Beis Yaakov, the second Ishbitzer Rebbe. I heard this from Reb Shlomo, who says that deep, deep down, every single person thinks that they created themselves. Right? It's, a, it's an awesome thought. You know it's not rational. You know, it's a, you, you know you have parents. And yet, deep, deep down, you think you made yourself. It's crazy. But, you know, if you really think about it, you go, you know, it's kind of true. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there when I was born. How do I know I didn't create myself? Okay, I guess I was there, but I don't have any memory of it. <laughs> I, the mind plays tricks. I know it's not rational what I'm saying right now, but the mind plays tricks. Okay. So let's get back to Rabbi Steinsold says. If you don't work your heart, if you don't work the dough, if you don't work with whatever it is that you're struggling with, like, I'm always late. Why am I always late? You know what? Never mind. I'll always be late. That's a chametz factory right there. Chametz factory. Just open for business. (laughs) I always do this. People always tell me I always do this. Why am I always yelling? I'm always yelling. Yeah, it's okay. I got this far in my life with yelling at everyone. It's good enough. Why am I always mean? Ah, I'll be mean. Right? If if that's these that's 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 what that's what it means that the the dough is left to rise. Okay. Now he goes a step further, and this is really what I wanted to tell you. He says. It could be that you put something in your heart years ago that at the time that you put it in your heart years ago, it was appropriate for you, but it's no longer appropriate for you because of who you are right now. Some activity, something that you used to do, whatever it is, it was appropriate for you back when you did it, But now, given who you are right now, it's no longer appropriate. But you know what? You haven't revisited that thing to get rid of it. You haven't worked with that thing. You haven't revisited that thing. And now it's all puffed up. You've got to get rid of it. Now, what that says to me is there's certain things that may have even been appropriate where you were at, but are no longer appropriate. I think that's worth thinking about. Okay, so let's, let's, let's get back to this idea that there's no finding without searching. So you have to know what you want in order to find it. But now I'm going to tell you something that I think is deep, okay? What if I'm still searching for something that I legitimately wanted years ago, so it was a real searching, but now you know something? I no longer actually want that thing. (laughs) Maybe the reason why I'm not... Maybe the reason why I'm not finding what I'm searching for, and I really am searching for it, is because I no longer really want it anymore. Maybe I have to revisit what it is that I really want in life. Maybe I knew a few years ago, but now I don't know anymore. I've got to figure out what is it that I really want so I can search for that thing so that I can find that thing. Because if I no longer want what it is that I used to be searching for, I'm never going to find it. And I think that I still want it because I wanted it a few years ago. But I don't want it right now. But I never asked myself the question again. I never revisited the subject. So I don't know. So I'm trapped. I'm trapped in like three years ago mail order catalog. (laughs) And I keep on dialing. And I can't get through. So, so I'll tell you this. 
let's let's say and and let's say I I I uh, I realize you know that thing that I used to want I don't want anymore. Let me tell you this: if you're lucky enough to ask yourself that question and give yourself an answer, and you get rid of that thing, you must replace it with something new. You must replace it with a new goal. You know, I was thinking about it. We were talking about it yesterday. Like in Russia, when they got rid of communism, they didn't replace it with anything. They had this like huge ideology that was like, you know, on billboards and oppressing the people for 70 years. And they got rid of it and they didn't replace it with anything. If you take something out of your life, especially an ideology, you must replace it with something new. All right. Now, now I want to, I want to go deeper. So, Rav Zvid in in the Gemara says that the light of a candle and the light of a torch are different. Okay, let's go back to that, but now on a deeper level. He says, the light of a candle casts its light forward, whereas the light of a torch casts its light backwards. Very interesting. The light of a candle casts its light forward, whereas the light of a torch casts its light backwards. So, you know... The way I'm going to tell you how I understand this. Forward means toward the future. Backwards means toward your past. Okay? And if we're really talking about freeing yourself, we have to get rid of those things that are blocking our way in the future. See? Because if I'm looking through the house with a torch and all I'm seeing is my past (laughs) I'm just getting tied more and more to my past what I need to do is to look forward to move forward in my life I need the light of a candle that's going to light up the path in front of me and remove all the obstacles on the inside and on the outside to give myself wings so that I can move forward I'm not looking for the light of a torch, which is just going to light up my past and tie me back down to my past. So, so many of us, the way we, the way we walk toward the future is instead of like just walking with our face toward the future, we turn our back to the future And then we walk backwards into the future, just pulling our past into the present. (laughs) Say that again. Let me just demonstrate that because it's it's a bit of a complicated thought. If in front of you is the future, now turn your back to the future. And a lot of people are just pulling their past into the present. And that's how they go through life. You just approach the future by just pulling your past into the present, right? But you can turn your back on the past so that you're just facing the future and then you can just walk into the future, right? And that's how you do it. That's how you do it, right? So Hashem should bless us that really we should be able to unclutter our lives you know, Rabbi Green told me in the name of the Ramchal um, something, which is that there is, um, you know, there is a certain hachma, a certain wisdom to handwriting analysis. You know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's a real thing. You have to go so, to someone who actually knows something. It's not to predict your future, but it's to analyze your personality. Graphology, it's called. There, there's something to it. There really is. <clears throat> So there's, there's a story, I don't, I don't know all the details, but here's the general idea about a person who, 
who changed their handwriting, and because of the way they changed their handwriting, they changed their personality. In other words, it was a reverse engineering. And if you think about it, I don't know, I'm, more and more, most people are writing less and less. So, so you, you, probably most people's handwriting over the last 10, 15 years has gotten sloppier and sloppier. And, and so you, I, I, I know this, and maybe you've experienced this too, that every once in a while I have to write in a way that, that has to be legible. And I'm, I'm shocked at how much effort I'm actually putting into, like, making the letters, you know, to make it very, very clear. So you see that that effort that's actually coming out of your, out of your heart, you know, so to speak, right? It's like, it's, it's a very real thing. So, so you're reverse engineering. By, by, by fixing my handwriting, I'm actually shaping my personality. I'm being more careful, I'm being slower, and everything like this. You understand? Okay. So now, do you understand how this correlates with the idea of cleaning your house? By getting rid of the junk, by getting rid of the stuff, as Marie Kondo says, doesn't spark joy. To thank it for, for its service, right? To let go of all this stuff. You become, you become free of these things, and then you're able to start to work with these things within yourself, right? Because there's a level of sacrifice. You know, every single object, every single paper, whatever it is, is a referendum on some level of your past and your personality and your present priorities, you know? And also, it's also a referendum on this used to be important to me, but is this who I am right now? So Hashem has, like, just... He's given us so many tools, so many holidays, so many opportunities just to just to connect with him, just to make ourselves the best, best version of ourselves. And, you know, I'll tell you something, it's such a big world, and it's so filled with so many opportunities, and so many of the reasons why we don't take advantage of them is because we're so tied in, 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 in negative ways to, like, where we are and who we are this very single moment. And just imagine, like, just clipping all the bicycle locks, you know, just, and then, and, and being able to go anywhere or do anything on the spur of the moment, right? That's, that, that's the idea that we left Egypt at a moment's notice. Can you imagine? We were there for like 400 years and we just left. <laughs> and not just a few people, like two and a half million people just left. And what possessions did they leave with? Pretty much the clothes on their back. (laughs) And we did it. We did it. And we can do it again. 